Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, comic books uh, specifically, uh, the podcast where Will Hines and Kevin Hines discuss the comic books they read growing up that meant a lot to them. I am Kevin Hines. And I am Will Hines. And we are brothers and we are UCB teachers slash comedians. Will is located in Los Angeles. Kevin is located located in, in New York. Yeah, that's I agree. That's a good biography about us. Just facts. That's right. No emotion. We cover comic books. As I said, ones that meant a lot to us growing up. And one of the runs that meant a lot to us growing up was Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's Fantastic Four comics. Specifically the uh, uh, issues around uh, 50. Short just before 50, leading up to about 53. Those were very impactful and the original eight. Uh, And so because of that, we are covering all of Jack Kirby and Stanley's issues, 102 issues plus five annuals, which is an absurd amount of comics. That's and right. we are deep into it now, Will. We are deep into it. Yeah, we're into up to issue 84. Yeah, we got through issue 83. We're going to do maybe seven, maybe 10 today, probably mm-hmm. seven mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. more issues today. Um, and the cracks are starting to form in the relationship between Jack and Stan. And it's. The comics are still fun, and they move, and they're beautiful, but those cracks are uh, present. They, you can see them. Yeah, none of these issues are, although they're fun to read, I, I, whenever I look at them, I have forgotten them, and I'm like, oh yeah, right, this happens. Whereas some of the earlier peak stuff, I can always recall them. Um, we reread all these issues before we started recording episode one, and now we're at issues that uh, I've probably read these once before, and now I've re- read them again a few months ago, and I don't remember them well at all beyond my notes that I took while reading them this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's that's a slap in the face of these stories, I guess. Before we uh, get into... Yes, I, I agree. We've considered these faces slapped. Uh, I have one thing to say before we get into these issues, because I'll forget while we're in the middle of them. The comics we're about to cover is... A, first, we're going to cover a Doom storyline that ran from, like, March... Cover date March until cover date June mm-hmm. of 1969. Okay. Uh, and during this run, the Black Panther, Jack Kirby creation, joined the Avengers. Oh, wow. Uh, it was a, it's just another example of, like, Jack Kirby characters sort of spreading out to other Marvel books. And it just shows how much of Marvel... I mean, we know this, but I, I think it's helpful to just show, like, how much of the Marvel Universe was just built on Jack Kirby's ideas. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, yeah. And Jack Kirby ideas. That's right, yeah, it's... It's like fifty percent Spider Man, fifty percent everything Jack Kirby did. It's crazy. I mean, we've we've already had Namor and Silver Surfer uh, spin off into their own comics. The Inhumans were a backup in Thor, mm-hmm. which itself is a big Jack Kirby comic. Although Nam- Namor uh, is not originally Jack Kirby. No, that's true. Okay, never mind. It's all lies. He's cra- <laughs> I guess he's crap. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I think that's what you're saying. I think what no, I'm s- I would say Namor was given probably more depth under Kirby than he was probably... I don't know that, though. Well, he was definitely... I could see he was revitalized by Kirby, for sure. Yes. And, like, uh, in the Silver Age, the 1960s, Namor was championed by Kirby, for sure. Bill Everett, or is that the name of the guy who yes. did Namor? Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, 1940s, 1950s, Namor is... And we're not experts in him, but, like, it's other... It's somebody else's deal. 
And I go back, I've looked at some of the old Bill Everett artwork from those Namor comics. It's beautiful. Yeah. The guy was really good. Yeah. And the stories, I think, were thin to empty, but the art was great. Some of these people, um, some of these people were really good. Yeah. It's almost as if these people who had successful careers in comic books were talented. Yeah. I can't be it, though. We'll keep looking for another explanation. There's got to be an answer. Uh, But yeah, so today we're going to cover a bunch of issues. We've got maybe one or two pieces of mail to cover, and we'll see where we're at at that point. Uh, We're now at the point in our podcast where we can't even tell you what issues we're going to cover before we record them because we just don't know how fast we'll get through them. That's right. Whatever format we've had has completely collapsed. And as our... uh, 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 podcast reviewers have said they love it when we discuss our format. Yeah, so we've been the feedback we've gotten is more format discussion, less yeah. about comics. Yeah, people no longer care what the format is as long as we discuss it for a long time. Yeah, and it might seem like we're about to move on from it, but then we keep talking about it. <laughs> that's right. That's that's the that's the goal. That's the hook. All right. Well, let's get into the the lesser part of our podcast, the comic books. All right. This is issue eighty four. The title is a very Stan Lee one, and the title is The Name is Doom. <laughs> yep. Doom is back. Uh, last time we saw Doom was when he was riding around in the Silver Surfer's surfboard, and he flew into the uh, space and exploded, I believe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Another glorious end for Dr. Doom. Yeah, he had the power cosmic, and he, like, crashed into the space. <laughs> um, so we, we open on the FF riding in the craziest FF transportation vehicle yet. Yeah, this is also the new FF. Sue is out, and Crystal is in. Sue's home taking care of the baby, weather-controlling Crystal, the inhuman that is Johnny Storm's girlfriend. has got her FF uniform on, and they're in what's called a gyro ship. Yes. And uh, it's a gift from the Inhumans, apparently. Yeah, it's almost like on some kind of autopilot taking them somewhere. It looks exceptionally uh, uncomfortable. There's four bubbles, but uh, Johnny is flying alongside in flame form. His bubble it's is empty. smart move. I would not want to sit in there. Um, so they, they're streaking over a village, and people are looking up being like, look at that, that's a dude made of fire in a gyro ship. Yeah, I believe they are flying from the Inhumans' Great Refuge back to New York City. Oh, yeah, because Crystal had to go back to ask her male leader, Black Bolt, if she could join the FF. So they're returning from that. Yes, and they had to, like, fight uh, the The, Mad Maximus, the Mad or whatever. That's right, that's right. Uh, Okay, so they're flying back, and they get intercepted by a bunch of fighter pilots from S.H.I.E.L.D., the world's best-funded international military organization, who have a bunch of pink... Pretty well-themed fighter ships. Yeah, I mean, they're stylish, for sure. Uh, uh, they were sent by Nick Fury and Dum Dum Dugan, because Dum- they have a mission for the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Dum Dum Dugan, the most insane-looking normal character in, in, in Marvel <laughs> Comics. Like, you know, accepting, like, alien creatures and robot suits. This dude does more with weird hats and a big red mustache yeah. than anybody I've seen. He's just from the, the Fury War comics, right? And Yeah. And he, like Nick Fury, just lived forever. I think in current comics that he might be a robot. It's so hard to follow sometimes. He was part of I the think... Howling Commandos. Like, he yes. fought alongside Nick Fury in World War II and Captain America, I assume. And he is basically Nick Fury's, like, most trusted friend. Yeah. You always got to have, really have a, gotta have a friend. When you're, when you're a lead comic book protagonist, you got to have one person that you can do your monologues out loud to. Yeah. 
And that's Dum Dum Dugan. We also Nick Fury also. Can I? Uh, yeah. Well, this is the thing I keep thinking about a lot. Uh, Nick Fury's chomping on a cigar most of this issue. Yeah. And when we had Ramsey on, he talked about how the thing he pictures a thing with a cigar in his mouth. But throughout this run, the the thing I think has smoked one cigar the entire time. Yeah. And I think the cigars maybe came more prevalent under John Byrne because he did Wolverine and the thing. Oh, interesting. Um, anyway, cigars are now outlawed in the Marvel comics. Like nobody smokes in oh, Marvel that, comics. Is that books. true? Even Howard the Duck? Even Howard the Duck. Nobody smokes. What's um, happening? What's happening to out- our world? There was some outrage when that came through. But I often hear about the thing that he doesn't look right without a cigar. And now I read these comics and I'm like, no, the cigar was the new thing. Yeah. Like Fury, you might have a point. This could be our hottest take yet. Yeah. I don't think the thing should smoke a cigar. It's not only is it weird, it's not canon. It is yeah. not Kirby canon. It's an addiction he picked up later in his life because the Sandman forced him to smoke one when he was in the Frightful Four. Blame the Sandman. Blame your bad guys for smoking. That's right. So after these shield planes sort of intercept the FF to... And they're all good guys, so they're going to have some nice conversation. We cut to some very dashing older gentleman with a heck of a goatee who is escaping through the world's most beautiful sewer system. Uh, but then he is captured by Dr. Doom, which is who we, we realize he's escaping from. Yes. And so now we know that Doom is going to be the villain of this issue. Yeah. There's a, uh, Doom says to them, do I give them shelter, provide them with food? And all that I ask is total blind obedience. <laughs> um, so we cut back to S.H.I.E.L.D. And um, Nick Fury is introducing some sort of glove, robot glove to these guys. Yeah. Who punches out Dum Dum Dugan. It's the nice thing about robots in old Marvel comics is each piece is completely autonomous from all other pieces. Yeah. All the power exists like Iron Man's gauntlets can still fire blasts even if they're not attached to the rest of the suit which I've never fully understood. Uh, same thing here. This gauntlet just starts flying around and attacking the FF and grabbing guns and stuff. There's certain things that are all powerful in 60s Marvel comics. Hypnotism, masks, and robots. Well, this story's got all of them. Woohoo, baby. Robots, uh, check. Doom's mask, check. And there's going to be some hypnotism, Will Hines. I love it. That's not an FF story. It's not an FF story if the thing is not smoking and someone doesn't get hit. My negatives are screwed up. But for there to be an FF story, I need hypnotism and the thing not to be smoking. Great. Well, you got it. Okay. So, um... S.H.I.E.L.D. is, I don't even know what's going on here. They're just shooting this robot thing, or is... S.H.I.E.L.D. sends the FF in to investigate these robots in Latveria, which, as you know, is where Doom is from. Doom is the monarch. Yeah, you could say that. Because he he is. He certainly (laughs) says that. Um, So we cut to Latveria, and Latveria is like an Eastern European state. Uh, It's sort of a... Or, sorry, it's it's in the vein of a communist Eastern European state, meaning there's tons of military guys everywhere with guns. There's tanks, sort of, sort of glorious, grand architecture. Um, this, this, these are pretty amazing photo, or photos, drawings of uh, Latveria. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Kirby, as we've discussed a little bit last episode, now he's gone down to mostly four panels a page. Yeah. Uh, the art is still great. There's less going on, but they're... It's not like he is skimping on the details. It's not like the background is just like a, a blue wash, the cityscape, just a lot going on. He's good. Yeah, I think so. Uh, anyway, the FF are sent by Fury to sneak into Latveria and see what's going on with his robot army. 
But do they, they know that Doom is the head of Latveria. You'd think they'd be like, oh, I wonder if we'll see Doom. But instead, they get into a fight with a robot army almost right away. Yeah, their car explodes around them. Uh, this army attacks them and defeats them, I think. They get gassed. They get gassed and captured. Kevin, what do you think of this picture on page 16, panel one, of this rooster letting, letting loose? Yeah, it's weirdly sexy. It's, it's a hunky rooster. I think Joe Sennett <laughs> and Jack Kirby couldn't draw anything without just tons of muscles. Yeah. I mean, that rooster should join the FF. I mean, this is a foghorn leghorn sized rooster, basically. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think it's in the foreground. I think it's giving a little. Uh, oh, this is also illusion. funny. So the FF wake up in these very plush beds, and there's an old dude with a xylophone waking them up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's very refined. Like, they're sort of being pampered. Yes, they're being. It's a luxurious bed. There's room service. Um, they don't know what's going on, uh, and they cut to Doom watching them like on a, the comic cuts to Doom sitting like watching them through one of the all powerful view screens. What I like and about is, Latveria and Doom in general is it is like s- super refined. Latveria has one of the highest per capita butler ratios of any country I've ever heard. <laughs> of. Like there are servants everywhere. It, it is like Downton Abbey times ten in Latveria. Yeah. I think that's fun. Uh, so the FF are like, why are we being treated well? They go out into the streets. There's a parade, love and friendship, welcome Fantastic Four. And they're like, something is up. Yeah. We, we, are, we are taught, I don't think the FF know this, that they've been hypnotized to not have powers. Okay. They don't know that. Jim tells us that on page 18. Um, um, hypnot- they won't even try to use their powers. They won't even. Yeah. Interesting. Um, hypnotism is... I mean, in this society, it should just be used as a wonder drug, like hypnotize people into not having diabetes. Like, it feels like it could do anything. Uh, Okay, so the FF are like, everything's nice. There's a parade. What could be the catch? Reed finds out when he makes a run for the border. Yeah, he gets zapped by a stun blast. And that's when we learn the hook. Sure, they can be happy and have this beautiful life as long as they never leave Latveria. Yeah, as Doom says... You will remain here and be eternally happy, or else you die. <laughs> uh, and that's issue 84. It goes right in issue 85. Do, uh, Reed is still on the ground at the beginning of 85. He hasn't gotten up yet over the last month. Picking right up where we left off. The title of issue 85 is Within This Tortured Land. I love Stanley titles. Uh, yeah, they're great. He reuses some, but they're still great. Yeah. Okay, so the FF realize now they're they're trapped. Um, they're not in any immediate danger if they don't try to leave. So Reed is kind of like, sit tight, don't make a move. We got to play it his way for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this issue is sort of interesting, I would say. This issue is almost all doom. Not a lot of our heroes. Yeah, but like they're in the first four pages. But starting with page five, city. where doom is in a classic Jack Kirby computer console. He's basically in, like, you've heard of dinner theater, Kevin, where there's a stage in the round where the audience yes. is sitting all around the stage. I've Doom, heard of dinner, and I've heard of theater. Uh-huh. Well, if you, yeah, if you haven't heard of dinner theater, it's an easy jump from what you know. But uh, Doom is sitting at his control console, and he's got the most intricate computer controls, 360. Like, I don't even know how he got in there. You're going to find out in the next page, Will. And um, part of his computer consoles, and I'm looking on page five here. Looks yes. like he's got two turntables that do some scratching. Yeah. As if he's, he's got, like an um, early hip-hop DJ. Yeah, I mean, I think Doom would be into music. I picture Doom doing extremely severe German opera-style hip-hop. 
We were told there is a there is a um, a rap artist who uses the name Doom, right? Oh, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's cool. It's like MF Doom or something like that. Yes, oh, right, right. That's fun. The world is fun. Anyway, oh maybe yeah, the inspired next, by this panel. The, yeah, the next panel. I see what it is. Doom. <laughs> his chair sinks into the floor <laughs> into another room. That's how he got into that control <laughs> That's thing. That's <laughs> right. He can be raised up from the lower floor to get into his <laughs> computer console. People's computer budgets, when you are an evil villain, is it's high. This assistant he has, this bald dude with the glasses, yeah. he looks like a Plastic Man villain. Isn't there a Plastic Man villain who's like bald with glasses like this? I mean, I assume he looks a little bit like uh, the Shazam villain, right? Uh, Savannah? That's who I meant. That's who I meant. I'm sort of seeing you for this part when they make it into a movie. Anytime I see a bald guy with a white bald guy with glasses in a movie, I'm like, why did I not get that part? Yeah, this guy could be you. He gets beat up by a doom, and I think that'd be a fun part for you. I'd be great at that. Like he's being pushed against the wall with a thump. I'm one of the world's all time's greatest thumpers. Yeah, and I'd love to see you opposite somebody being doom. It'd be really fun. I mean, I would love to, first of all to do any part at any scale or 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 scope, but certainly I would love to be beaten up by Doctor Doom in a movie. This is all a great sequence. This guy tells Doom, uh, you are as right as ever, he says to Doom. And Doom says, then look as though you mean it, you dolt. Yeah. So this guy's uh, already on Doom's bad side. So he tries to make it up for him. And he tells Doom, yes, Excellency, your brilliance rivals that of the Red Skull himself. And that makes Doom even matter. Rivals it? Rivals it, you say? Thump. Thump. There's the thump. Know this now and know it forever. Dr. Doom has no rivals. None. None. I mean, this dude is... I mean, he's insane. This guy's like on the ground opening door. Anyway, I don't know if we see that guy again, but he's awesome. I wish I could see video footage of all the screenwriters who tried to adapt FF when they first read their Doom stories and are like, how do we, how do we, how do we get this guy into a story? (laughs) The next page is a bunch of robots slapping um, rebels. Yeah, the the robots are putting down rebels. Oh, well, uh, some of the rebels they get doom and um, they get do- they get doom and sort of uh, they- in a grappling hold. Yeah, they let these uh, do- these rebels escape, but it is all part of a test that Doom is running. He lets himself get grappled. He lets the rebels think they are getting the upper hand, but it's so he can test uh, some robots. Yeah, he lets them escape. He lets them get into some crazy ass tank, which it looks like it's made of part stone. Yeah. Um, and they're driving away, and then he Doom releases some extra powerful robots, his omnipurpose <laughs> robots. Um, and then he decides to send his robots to destroy the village where the FF live. Um, yeah, why not? Uh, in the village, uh, the bottom of page 12, there's a woman in a cool white hat. I love that look. Yeah. Uh, I like Kirby fashions. And the FF are being treated well. They're being fed well. There's a dude playing violin. But then they're poisoned or they're, they're drugged at dinner, so they fall asleep. And they are strapped into a machine. Like so well, they're all re-hypnotized. Lo- re-hypnotized. Uh, That's right. Johnny Storm is scared of fire. Crystal is hypnotized that she's lost her elemental powers. Thing that he doesn't have strength. Um, they hypnotize Reed that he respects women. <laughs> That's where he gets his power. His misogyny is his greatest power. Uh, speaking of that, we have a quick subplot to Sue Richards shopping for a house. Uh, Sue Richards is dolled up, let me tell you that. Yeah, she's looking great. Um, 
she's got this big red hat on and this like slick white coat. There's just people swarming around her. She's a celebrity. Um, and she's looking for a house and she finds uh, something she likes, which is not a house, but sort of a strange <sighs> futuristic looking hatchway to a living service. She's concerned about security because they're so famous. Yeah. So she finds basically an underground house and she's about to look at it and we cut away because that's going to be our next story arc. Yeah. The house has been abandoned. So now there's some realtor selling it and nobody goes into these woods because they're all scared of this house. And Sue's like, I'm interested. Yeah. Well, she wants security, Kevin. You, you see, you're, you're looking at the negative. Mm-hmm. Abandoned house. It looks futuristic. Nobody knows what the story is. And the good side, kids aren't going to come looking for autographs when you're living in a creepy underground lair. Sure, sure. That's a good point. Cut back to Latveria. FF wake up feeling refreshed. They don't seem to mind that they're waking up inside a giant machine that had probes on their head. I mean, to be fair, I feel like in the Baxter building, that happens that, you know, Reed puts them in machines all the time. Probably three days a week you wake up inside of a giant machine and Reed's like, not to worry. I'm simply testing reversing the polarity of your atoms to see if that will accidentally make a nuclear bomb or something. I mean, he has done tests on the thing without the thing knowing about trying to cure the thing. So it's not 100 percent not true. Um, so they're looking good, or they're feeling good. We cut to Doom. He's in his throne room, posing in a super regal outfit, and he's looking at himself in the mirror. We are not allowed to see his face, because he's not wearing his mask. And for a long time, that was sort of a Marvel Comics thing. You couldn't see Doom's real face. That's right. Until John Byrne, I think. That might be true, yeah. You definitely do see his face in a John Byrne comic. I I think you don't see it before that. Anyway, he's dressed as crazy as uh, uh, Maximus the Mad would be dressing. Not quite. Not quite in that insane silver helmet he was wearing. A a Jack Kirby supervillain fashion show would be something else. First of all, you need a super reinforced runway to hold up the weight of how much metal and just what the volume of these outfits are. No one alive could wear these outfits and move. Nobody without the neck of a um, elephant could wear a Jack Kirby regal uniform. Uh, okay, so Doom is impatient and he releases his tested robots to destroy the village and everything inside of it, including the FF. And that's how the issue ends. Uh, that's right. The robots attack. The FF are, are nervous. And we go into issue 86. All right. 86. Title is The Victims. Uh-oh. This story's pretty good. I mean, like, it's just a fun adventure. It is, and I think that's what all these stories are, right? Like, these are good and these are fun. They're sort of forgettable Yeah. Um, when it's all said and done. It's more John Wick 2, less John Wick 1. That's right. This is like, or, yeah. Um, I don't remember John Wick 2 very much. And I remember everything about John Wick 1. I agree. It's Die Hard 5, not Die Hard. <laughs> wow, there was a fifth Die Hard? Uh, there's, I think there might have been a sixth. I've only ever seen the first one. That's not true. You that is true. You make up things all the time. That's true. I rewatched the first one recently. It's good, still. It's still really good. Uh, the third one's good, and uh, I think the fourth one is fun. The fifth one was terrible, if I'm remembering them correctly. I think that was the last one. I, I want to see the third one. I've never seen it. Um, uh, they've mostly become just action movies. They're just called Die Hard, but it's just John McClane, this guy the superhero. From the first movie. There's yeah. no, no like tissue between them. Okay, it was The Victims, issue 86, Great. right? That was an important digression. I think so. So on the splash page... The FF are getting ready for an attack. Thing is saying, what a revolt in development. Right here on the splash page, we got a catchphrase. Some two dudes in a car with a megaphone are warning everybody that the robot army of Dr. Doom is on its way. And Reed orders everyone to assemble in the public square. He's going to have a plan. Right. They all want the FF to save them, but the FF are hypnotized from using their powers. Mm-hmm. 
so they won't. And then Doom, like a TV screen comes out of the ground with Doom's head on it, and it's great. And then Doom tells everyone, attention citizens, I give you a royal decree. My robot army, which I created for your protection, is temporarily out of control. If some of you perish due to this regrettable accident, let it be known your sovereign proclaims you heroes of the realm. So funny. And so Doom, then we cut to Doom and, and he's talking out loud to himself and he's basically gloating over how he's really got the FF in a corner. They don't have their powers yeah. and he got a robot army that's going after him. And uh, some, I think a robot servant weirdly, oh, he. I, I see. We learned that he's telling the truth. The robot army really is out of control, right? That's what page six uh, is saying. I mean, he sent them to destroy this. He sent them to destroy this village, but I guess yeah, it is true. I uh, think they, they could not wait. They did not wait for his signal to launch their attack. They they started. He was like, eventually, you guys are going to attack this village, and they're like, we're doing it now. I feel like this is the kind of thing where it's a miscommunication between Stan and Jack. Like somebody had an idea here of what the twist would be, and either Stan, in writing the dialogue, did not set it up correctly last issue, or Jack didn't think it through in terms of how it would contradict things. And we're getting bumps that maybe we wouldn't get in the peak issues. Right. Exactly. Uh, they're, they're working less, more and more separate. Yeah. So somehow Doom does have killer robots. He does want them to kill everybody, but they are doing it in a way that is not what he wanted or something. Uh, but the main point here is we got an attack in the middle of a village between the hypnotized FF and some omnipurpose robots. Yeah, and then the FF just slowly get their powers back during this fight. There's no, like, reason to it that I can see. They just get back. Yeah, I mean, I guess hypnotism wears off. I th what I'm guessing is that Doom turned it off because the robots are beyond his control and he weirdly needs his enemy's powers. You think that's the Kirby reason? I would... I'm specul... That's not what is said in the comic. I'm spec... That feels like an obvious thing that maybe somebody meant. Mm -hmm. But it's not shown or referred to. So they just kind of get their powers back and start fighting. Yeah, so they fight for a while. It turns out that Doom has... He shows a model of it, and I guess it is... Uh, representative of what's true there's like two sticks of dynamite <laughs> underneath the city he's he's had the whole city rigged to explode that's how he's going to destroy these robots it's like a last ditch effort you sacrifice all of your citizens but you also kill the thing that's that's in there so he sets off the bomb everything explodes but here's the thing nobody dies well that's right and what saved them dumb luck no uh dumb luck sue, that's right dumb sue luck richards sue richards the invisible girl her force field saved a village. She put her force yeah. field around an entire village and it withstood two sticks of big dynamite. Yeah. And honestly, that's pretty exciting to me. Like, Sue hasn't been in these issues other than some house hunting. It's a cool reveal. It doesn't feel like a big cheat. And it's also awesome to think of the F Fantastic Five now altogether. It's pretty fun. So, Kev, we move into the last issue of the saga, issue 87, The Power that's and right. the Pride. The cover promises us possibly the most offbeat ending of the year. Yeah, I think that's, well, let's just go through it. Stan Lee does this, I think, when he doesn't like the endings. Yeah. He'll, like, comment on it. He's, he's, like, embarrassed about something, and he'll try to sell it as a feature when maybe the readers weren't even bothered by it. You know, it'll be like in, in Spider-Man comics when they were, like, the first half of it would be all emotional subplot with no villain, which would happen now and then. Yes. In the Steve Ditko drawn Spider-Man issues, Stan would have a caption and be like, oh, I know we're waiting a long time for action here, but promise it's going to be worth it. Uh, and I always felt like, yeah, we, we were fine, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th I think this is sort of an interesting ending, I guess I'm going to say. So we, 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 we are in a state where Sue has saved the village. Great splash page. Yep. Just of the whole team. 
the Fantastic Five. I love that drawing. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Birthday boy Joe Sinnott is really making these things look great. Yeah, uh, the, the, last, the last of this trio that's still out there. Forget the details, but the underlings are informing Doom that things have gone awry and the FF are, are moving in. Yeah, the FF are basically moving to attack Doom. And Doom is sort of like playing piano. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. He's going to offer them arts and music, but the but the keyboard has hyper sound. That is some sort of bad thing. I, I don't know. But the FF are attacking and Doom's getting ready. The two women immediately are removed from the storyline. They fall into a trap door, which is very disappointing to me. I was excited to see all five of them fight together. But a Doom kidnaps Crystal and Sue and separates them from the three men. Separates the free men and brings them to a room with a bunch of food, uh, two hilarious-looking chefs, and uh, Doom's dialogue is, Come in, my pretties. He's basically the wicked witch of the, of the West here. <laughs> Come in, my pretties. I've been expecting you. Surely you do not think me so ungallant as to forget you are my guests. What a creep. Yeah. This page is, it reminds me of the Darth, uh, Darth Vader at Cloud City. When, like, the door opens and you see Vader, like, at the end of a long table, like, waiting for, I guess, Lando? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Or, no, maybe he was waiting for Han and Leia. Yeah. Lando leads Han and Leia into a room and it opens up and it's, like, Vader at the end of a long table. It sort of feels like this. That's right. Like, everything else about this scene is normal. And then there's, like, the symbol of evil at one end. Right, right, right. Oh, man, what a great scene in Empire Strikes Back. I love that. The, re- the reveal that Lando's been working with Doom. Or, uh, yeah. Vader. <laughs> and Doctor Doom. That's and Doom. the unspoken. Lucas, that's what Lucas's final change will be to those movies. He's going to CGI in a Doctor Doom <laughs> into a. So it's all a, it's all a Vader Doom team up. Yeah, Ooh, I'm into it. I <laughs> uh, I know. As I said it, I'm like I'd watch it. All right, so we're in the wilderness. I don't know what's happening here. There's a quick oh, this cut is to a cut the... back to the house. The weird house, and people are scared of the house that Sue is buying. Right. So we're still setting up for the next arc there. But then we come yeah, back I to mean, our... Yeah. Uh, this is interesting. It's mostly just a battle sequence, some nice panels. It's all drawn well. Not much to say about it. By the time we get to page 17, Doom is playing piano for Sue and Crystal. It's very funny. It's just so funny that he doesn't take his gloves off. He's playing like with his big armored fingers. I guess it may, it's probably a custom piano. It's got to have extra wide keys. Uh, the Fantastic Four are, like, working their way through, like, a museum. There's beautiful art and statues and uh, artifacts. Some uh, Doom uses his keyboard to fire his aforementioned hypno sound, but instead of getting the FF, he gets his little German henchman, Hauptmann, the one who looks like Plastic Man, or uh, Shazam's Savannah. Played by Will Hines. Played by me, so I am now zapped out by the hypersound. And then, um, do things just end here? Yeah, well, so what happens is this guy shoots a flamethrower, but it hits uh, Reed, and Doom gets mad at this guy, who I think helped make the robots or something. I don't think he's just nobody. Right, he Doom will, gets he, mad at him f- because he yeah. almost destroyed the art, so Doom kills him. Oh, jeez. Right, he oh, this dude, who's been screamed at by Doom and threatened and scared, goes hard against the FF, but almost hits a painting, and so Doom kills him. I mean, this kills this- him, and then Doom releases the FF. And uh, that's it. You know what? I agree with Stan. That is an offbeat ending. Yeah. I'm going to say not good. <laughs> I think it's interesting. It's an interesting thing that Doom values that art so much. And maybe I just needed status. Maybe I just needed more than two panels on that story point. It's not delivered well. And the fact that he just lets the FF then walk out at home. It's like another one of these things where like the FF didn't win this fight. Yeah. 
they were winning this one at least, but they didn't defeat Doom. Nope, but uh, a lot of the stories lately just kind of just kind of wrap up. I think as we hit the page number that we're supposed to. Yeah, uh, let's take a break, Will. All right, we're gonna take a break, and we will be right back. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. We're back. Hello. <laughs> no, it's, it's... I'm British it's, now. It's Ringo, I think. Sure. Or John? Let's say it's Ringo. Or Paul? <laughs> really, my the inaccuracy is so much it could be any of them. <laughs> it's equally wrong for all of them. <laughs> I, I think it's Paul. I think it's mostly Paul. That's right. You know, yeah. Well, you know, John used to always be quick, quick, blip, blip. All right. Um, whenever Dana Carvey impersonates somebody, it becomes everybody's impersonation of that person. Yeah. Smart. It's a smart move. Smart move. Okay. Uh, Dana most... Carvey's Paul McCartney's the real Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah. Even Paul, I don't believe. It's yeah. like, oh, he sounds almost as good as the real Paul McCartney, which is Dana Carvey doing Paul McCartney. Uh, so we are up to issue 88, um, A House There Was. Yeah, it stands like, how do I make a interesting title about a house? I got it. A weirdly passively, a passive tense, no object, just a house exists. Okay, so we, the FF are returning home after being released by Doom, and they're, and Alicia's tending to the baby, and they're all happy to see the baby. Yep. And the baby, happy, by the way, is still unnamed. Unnamed. The someday-to-be-named Franklin Richards, currently unnamed. This this baby was born, when is this, on annual 6. So he was born around issue 80. Mm-hmm. We're at 88. That's eight months ago this baby was born. Not in Marvel time. I don't know how much time has passed. It's unclear. But months have gone by. Well, Reed hasn't been home to do the man's job of naming the baby. That's right. Kevin, we're going to get into this house story and yeah. it begins with somebody being blinded by the house? Yeah, I mean, this whole story is sort of dumb. Okay, um, I'm ready for it. But basically, they, they move into this house. This is where Reed and Sue are moving to to leave the Baxter building behind. It's an insane science fiction UFO house that was abandoned in the woods, and now they've bought. Page six, we see the Fantastic Five coming upon the house, and Johnny Storm's outfit, I mean, he looks like someone who belongs in Pebbles and Bam Bam's rock band. The thing looks good. The thing is crushing it in this winter coat and scarf. Like, he looks, I agree, he looks fantastic. Reed looks good, too. Reed looks get, good. Sue looks good. They all look good. Crystal Johnny looks did. a little of her time. Like, this, the, the, the outfit is a little yeah. crazy, but it doesn't look bad. Johnny looks the worst, for sure. But the thing, I think, is stealing the show right here. He looks terrific. For a guy who probably has a hard time finding clothes. Someone did, I guess when you're a world-famous superhero, someone's going to step up to the task. So they go into this house, which is, is so obviously a supervillain's thing. But yes. they walk on in. Johnny decides to test out the home by igniting into flame and blasting it with a, with a torrent of flame. Yeah, full force blasts. And it, it does not burn. Lucky for him. 
What a faux pas if he accidentally burned their house down the second they get there. They go inside and it's like, a, it's all like curved shapes and it's weird like a, levels. It's like a Battlestar Galactica Cylon ship. Like it looks part organic and part mechanic. Yeah, it looks like a, an insect uh, race ship. And there's all kinds of weird machines. Somebody's being notified that the FF are in the house. That's right. Oh, then things at the eye doctors for some reason? Yeah, the thing has a headache or something. His eyes hurt. Oh, and we're going to find out later that's because of the house, but he doesn't know yes, yet. Yes, the house yet, so. is hurting them. So he's back at the Baxter building. Yeah, they're they're packing up crates to send to the Baxter building. To send to the new house. They're right, to send from the Baxter building, sorry, to the new house via delivery service. And they get to the house, and this is where they're finally attacked? Yeah, the house sort of attacks them, and Reed doesn't want to worry Sue, so he doesn't mention what happened. Okay. I don't want to alarm her because he doesn't know why he was attacked. So uh, Sue asks, what happened to you? And he goes, it was just an accident. Because why would you want to tell your wife slash mother of your child that will also be in this house that the house attacked? Not to mention she's a superhero and just saved an entire village. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, but on page 18, we see the real villain here. It's the Mole Man. Yes. We haven't seen him in a while. The original FF villain from FF number one. I mean, I think he made a cameo maybe in issue 100. Has he been around? Oh, no. There was an adventure with him. Yeah, he also, like, stole cities underground. The classic underground lord plot. He tunneled up to all these cities Elon Musk style and put a platform under them and then lowered them into the earth. Yeah, but we find out that this house is is, uh, Mole Man's house. Mole Man's house, and there's traps everywhere. Uh, and they are doomed. And then they're all made blind, which is sort of That's ironic because right. the Mole Man has trouble seeing because he's been underground for so long. Yeah. And he makes them totally blind, and that's how the issue ends. A lot of these stories, right- I'm like, all right. <laughs> it is crazy that they rented this house. Other than that, I don't really have a problem with it, other than the, the very nature of how it is set up. So the next issue, we open on the house, and it's, like, filled with light, and we sort of are, like, a camera zooming in through the rooms until we return to the battle scene we left off last issue, which is the Mole Man torturing the FF. And we get to page three, which is a really rad battle picture of Mole Man versus the Fantastic Five. The title of this issue, I should have said, is The Madness of the Mole Man. <laughs> All these titles, yeah. you try to start saying them in a normal voice, but by the end, you got to be Stan Lee's voice. It's impossible to not switch. They're bad if you don't say them. The Madness of the Mole Man sounds blah. Yeah. But The Madness of the Mole Man... <laughs> You have to pretend there's an exclamation point after every word. Yeah, yeah. If not, two. So we're in a battle, and Mole Man is uh, really going at it. We got the FF going crazy. We got a nice little photo page on issue six. Mole Man mostly fights with a stick. Does all right, though. He's holding his own against all five of them. He is a non-superpowered, angry man, and he's doing okay. Then we have a cut to the next storyline. Which is a scrawl is watching the planet getting ready to come down, and he's a, he says he's a slaver, and he wants to kidnap somebody from Earth. Yeah, to uh, bring to the games the greatest player of all. So there's some kind of games he's referring to. That's right. But we're not going to see that right now. And this scrawl has weird different eyes than previous scrolls. He's not the handsome scroll type. Um, this is the current Kirby, like, sort of buff overly sculpted face scroll look. There's like muscles in his face. I think his yeah. face has abs, basically. Uh, but anyway, we go back, we hear about uh, Mole Man's plan, which is to like blind Earth. Okay. And then set his moloids, or subterraneans, they're called both, yeah, whatever. free on top of the uh, Earth. So that's his plan, and the FF are like, not as long as we're here, and they start fighting... 
And they are blind, right? Yes, they are, they are still blind. Yeah, but, go to page 14. I'm there. Sue's going off on the mole man. <laughs> right, Sue, even though she's blind, gets in his face, rips off his goggles, and he can't, without the goggles, his eyes are in great pain because he's been in the darkness for too long, and she's, like, grabbing his hair. She, she's got him pinned to the ground, grabs his hair, and is whipping his head around. Yeah. She uh, just yeah. beats him up without her powers. Pretty rad. So Sue, um, he starts to fight back against Sue, and then and then baby bro Johnny gets into the mix to protect his sis. Yeah, big splash page of Johnny flaming on, and he melts the staff. He melts all the robots. Oh, the, the wooden staff, yeah. Somehow I think also they get their sight back. Somehow they can uh, see again. Uh, on page 15, Johnny says, It must have been the shock for Mole Man's staff. It's another thing where maybe Kirby had something in mind and he didn't tell Stan or... He forgot and Stan had to make it up in the dialogue or some, or maybe Jack had an idea, told Stan, Stan didn't like it, and he overrode it with speech balloons. Who knows? Yeah. They think Reed's dead for a little bit, but then he's just not. It's a trope in FF that somebody's always about dead. And so is also, he... Also, it looks like the thing is still blind in all these pages, but he says he can see. Like, he's got no pupils. Yeah, there's some miscommunication between Stan and Jack here. And... departing from it and that's how the issue ends and so i think we're gonna do one more issue or do you want to do, keep going beyond that uh, let's do one more okay i think mole man might be defeated i'm losing track so this is he's been defeated but he's still anyway, in play you'll see. okay so yeah. issue 90 the scroll takes a slave uh the ff from their point of view at least are done with the battle they've defeated mole man they're in this house which is just a trap uh-huh. And then they hear a noise, which is probably the alien we saw at the end, the scroll we saw at the end of the last issue, but we don't know yet. They hear some. It's not. It's the thing like ripping apart the machine house. Okay, right. Um, I, good move. I think. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. Thing doesn't like this house because it's all like mechanical and crazy. So he's just punching it a bunch. Uh, Mole man is tied up on top of some boxes. Looks hilarious. Yeah. Sue says we should untie him. She feels compassion, even though she was beating the holy crap out of him last issue. Yeah. And he's bragging about how he would have had them if it wasn't for Sue. Um, his hyper-keen ears can hear sound, and it lets him find his way through the house. He's trying to escape, and he does escape. Yeah. Well, they untie him to show compassion, and then he flees into the uh, uh, bowels of the earth. On page 8, I think Reed says, The police couldn't hold him. He's actually committed no crime. It's a strange, paradoxical world we live in. A man can be arrested for illegal parking, but there's actually... No law against trying to conquer the planet. Yeah. I don't think Reed would be a good lawyer, because I, I think I think you could construct a case against that crime. The thing says, wait till J. Edgar hears about that. <laughs> I like how the Mole Man escapes. He just opens up the floor. There's a tube to the center of the Earth that is an anti-grav drop tube. He'll be in his kingdom, which is called Subterranea, not the center of the Earth, but a kingdom deep within the Earth. That's right. And uh, that's sort of the end of the house storyline. And now we have the beginning of the next storyline, mid-issue. Okay. This is like, that's old school FF. That's like back in the Galactus phase where they would start the story halfway through. That's right. So uh, the scroll that we saw who wants a slave to bring to some games is arrived. He's got a plastic mold of Reed that the dialogue says he'd use just to memorize the face of Reed Richards. Like instead of a photo, he's got a mannequin. Yeah, I, and then I, he, like, melts that. It doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't quite make sense. Maybe that was a mask or something. I don't know, but he's uh, he is a shape changer. Mm-hmm. 
And like all scrolls. Like all scrolls. But then he has another device that lets him shape change machines so he can make his ship look like a rock to hide it. Yep. Then he like knocks out some dude in the woods and takes his shape. Great. That's a classic scroll move. And then like hitchhikes into a car to go back to New York. He's heading in, into New York. And Reed's invented some kind of video sort of Skype device where he can see Alicia and baby not yet named Franklin. Yeah, still not named. They talk about it a little bit. We must simply must pick a name for him, says Sue. Reed says, impossible wife lady. Oh, man. Oh, man, that is rough dialogue. Well, that is, that is bad. That'd be a tough line to deliver. <laughs> anyway, uh, Reed says, impossible Look wife Sue. lady. Sue's is bad. Johnny's right, husband mine. We yeah, simply yeah. must pick a name for him. Impossible wife lady. I mean, it's like, husband are, are mine they? Is- are it's they one scrolls? step better than wife lady, but it's bad. It, are they, they're scrolls, I think. They're like posing. <laughs> they're people posing as humans. I mean, they all look crazy in Their that panel. Their faces look insane. Uh, no name's good enough, enough for that little tiger. We'll have to invent a brand new one. And Sue says, personally, I like Reed Jr. And my punch-up suggestion is Reed should say there, I like Baby Fantastic. <laughs> 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 Which will be his name his whole life, even when he's an adult. Anyway, then the house door explodes. The house explodes. Good riddance, They run I out say. of it, and it all like, gets sucked into the earth and explodes. Back in Manhattan, the Skrull uh, takes the f- form of somebody else that he sees on the street and steals that dude's car. The FF have returned. They're, uh, the thing is signing autographs on the street. Uh, Skrull takes his third form to get close to the thing. And this one is Reed Richards. Oh, and he's, yeah, he looks like Reed Richards. Gets close to Ben and and warns Ben that there is an invasion from outer space. That's right. Cut away, and, and the FF are in a police station because they can't find Ben. So I guess it's the, a little bit in the future or something? I, guess, I think it's later that day. It's too soon to put out an APB on a grown man superhero. Uh, so the scroll disguised as Reed, leads Ben back to the woods, back to his ship. He turns into his scroll form. Thing sees what the jig that the jig is up, attacks the scroll, but he's got some gun that immobilizes the thing. Takes it's a him nerve into a, gun. It's a nerve gun. Takes him into his ship and whips him into space. Yep. And the next issue is going to be called Ben Grimm Slave. Yep. And I think that's where we should stop for this uh, episode. Uh, well, there we go. Yeah, uh, we'll be at issue ninety-one next episode. So yeah, there we go. It looks like I'm skimming ahead to see where Franklin gets named. He gets named in issue. 94. So after this next arc, he finally gets named. Re, uh, Franklin gets his name. Yes, sorry. Yes, yes. Okay. The baby, baby, baby fantastic gets his human name. In my mind, he'll always be called baby fantastic. That is a long time to go without, na- like in, in Stan's timeline, that is over a year where he did not have a name for that child. And he's someone who I think he likes picking names a lot of times. I feel like he'd be all right at that. Yeah. I don't know what took so long. I mean, was there like a contest where they were asking readers to pick? That feels like a Stan Lee move. It does, but I don't think if there is, I don't. I don't. Someone write in and tell us why it took so long to name uh, Franklin. Yeah, that's. I mean, was it just they didn't get around to it, or was there a reason? Yeah, I don't. The pressure of naming uh, the child of your uh, your one point number one comic. Uh, but if you do know the reason behind that, uh, Will and I have proven time and time again we are not qualified to do this podcast. So that's email right. us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. Uh, the fun thing of doing the podcast is people will be listening and they'll get to an episode 
and they'll hear something that we are dead wrong on where we have been corrected on it. Yes. And, uh, and so I, I'll get corrections for things for the rest of my life. This is even more true in the Beatles podcast I do. I do a Beatles podcast called Screw It. We're just going to talk about the Beatles. And in the very early episodes of that series, I was especially unprepared and just got some obvious things wrong. Right. You that, used to say there was five members of the Beatles. I used to. I thought there was five members. I thought James Brown was a member of the Beatles because they were both so influential in the 60s. Um, and I didn't know the Beatles were British, and that's on me. I, th- I thought they were yeah. from um, the Deep South. Yeah, I remember you saying, like, the one album the Beatles did was good, and that's yeah. why I'm doing this podcast. And then people sort of came out of the woodwork showing these, like, sort of little-known other albums they did, like Abbey Road. Yeah, and Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, which I still haven't listened to, but I hear is good. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure it's good. But people will be emailing me. They'll hear those early ep- the early episodes of my podcast, The Beatles One, are, are listened to way, way more than any other episode. So I'm I'm perpetually getting the same corrections. <laughs> the Daredevil costume one will be one we hear about a lot. Yeah, we mistakenly we said that... We weren't even the, covering Daredevil. We shouldn't have fallen into that trap. Yeah, we said that... I said that Daredevil, the red costume, was designed by Steve Ditko, which is wrong. It's Wally Wood. I, do th- I think Ditko did... The second Iron Man costume. Yes, that is believed. I don't think anyone knows that 100% for sure, but he definitely drew the first issue where that appeared, so he gets credit for that. Yeah, and um, and then for some reason I mistakenly transferred that to Daredevil in my mind. I don't know why. Uh, speaking I, I, of that, oh, yeah. we got an e- email where someone uh, mentioned wanting to correct us about the Wallywood design Daredevil costume, but missed the boat. <laughs> Uh, so he had other information to share with us that is great information. Should I go into it? Let's do it. So this is from a friend of Will, uh, Elliot Kalan. Am I pronouncing that right? I uh, know it's Kalen. Elliot Kalen. Kalen. Although, you know, heck, maybe it's Kalan. You know, I've never I've never really confirmed it with him. So may- maybe I've been mispronouncing it this whole time. And he's also been mispronouncing it to cover up my mistake. And his real name is Kalan. Uh, it's probably Kalen. <laughs> it's probably not <laughs> that's that. An, uh, that's, that's one explanation, mm-hmm. that it is the way he's been pronouncing it to me. And another explanation is it's the world's most low stakes and complicated con. Anyway, Elliot wanted to school us. Okay. Uh, and Fantastic Four stuff, but he couldn't school us on the Daredevil red costume, so he found something else that he knew better than us. Okay. So uh, I'll fill in a little backstory about Kirby's intention for him. So this is back in issue 66, 67, 68, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, him was a cocooned, perfect man creature. Created by later three sort brought... of dashing, weird scientists had made him. Yeah. He's later brought back as Adam Warlock. I don't know if that name was a Kirby name or later on given to him by Jim Starlin. But Starlin would use Adam Warlock a lot. Okay. And became a big part of the Thanos storylines. So uh, here's a little backstory about Kirby's intentions for him, a.k.a. the future Adam Warlock. Okay. This is one of the more egregious cases of Stan distorting Kirby's original intention for a story. All right. Apparently, Kirby intended the scientists who created him to not be evil would be world conquerors. Instead, they would be well-meaning scientists truly trying to create a perfect human being. But in a science fiction twist... Their perfect creation would deem his scientist creators imperfect and destroy them because they did not live up to him's own perfect standards. Ooh. This is going to be Kirby's take on the faulty nature of objectivism. Oh, making it's the like scientists an- evil and him noble stand pretty much entirely removed Kirby's original point in telling the story in the first place. Oh, that would really frustrate me. So anti so objectivism is the Ayn Rand philosophy, which I, I don't totally know, but is roughly sort of like self-interest is good and you shouldn't have to apologize for your own talents and kind of gets used by a lot of conservative slash alt-right people. 
Uh, but and, and and more relevant to Marvel, objectivism was a big Steve Ditko thing. Yeah. So Kirby's maybe he doesn't have anything personal against Ditko, but if he's doing an anti-objectivist story, he does happen to be doing a story that is opposite in principle to Steve Ditko's Spider-Man stories. Yeah, it's a, at least against the belief that uh, Ditko held. Yeah. And definitely um, by this point, we're now well after Ditko's left uh, Marvel, so it's it's in it's rooting in deeper and deeper into Ditko. Um, so that's, I mean, and to be honest, Kirby's story sounds more interesting to me than just another standard evil villain plot. Yeah, I, I, I would say, though, like, it is another one of these things where him shows up for two panels. Yeah. And it feels like that's not enough space to tell that story well. I, I, Kirby just, if he and Stan would sit down and, and, and work together better, where Stan would truly honor Kirby's ideas... I think that story could be done, but I think it's just like you need at least a page. But I think that might be true regardless of which version of the story you're doing. Like, we uh, just, I mean, yeah, I think this, that part should have been longer anyway. But I think Kirby drawing this in isolation, just sort of like this guy pops up and just zaps everyone and then it's over. That, like, what is the threat the whole story? It's, I think it's a tough sell if you don't spend more time with like a crime against nature creating a, a life form or whatever. That, anyway, I could um, totally understand where that would like completely upset Kirby. That would like drive me. That would drive me bonkers. Uh, also, Elliot tells us Kirby's original intention for the Silver Surfer was as a completely alien, possibly artificial being who would eventually learn how to be human. But when Stan took over the solo writing reins in Surfy's monthly book, he turned that around and made him basically a human who temporarily became kind of robotic. Um, interesting. Which is true. Definitely, the way Surfer has been portrayed since then is that he was a human that became the surfer to save his race yeah norin rad right or norin uh, yes norin rad uh-huh. uh but in the early fantastic four comics he seems like completely unaware of anything human yeah i think he had been i think his mind had been wiped of those memories as sort of the retcon explanation of that um well i think these are two good examples of things that totally make sense to me of why they would drive people apart he also points out a thing that I did learn recently, recently in like the last five or six years. He talks a little bit about him, but this is about Galactus in the long run. So listen up. I'm ready. Uh, Kirby and Lee would next have him fight Thor while trying to kidnap Thor's girlfriend, Sif. Three years later, he'd return as the reluctant space Jesus we all know and love today. That's Adam Warlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly, almost immediately after fighting him, I'm, I'm stressing the him so you know what I'm saying, uh, Thor would go on to learn the origin of Galactus, a story you think Stan and Jack would have told in Fantastic Four. But that is basically right around now, because uh, Elliot says, that month Thing was busy fighting, uh, was Thing was busy visiting the gangster planet. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, the, the origin of Galactus was a story I, I learned when Mark Wade told the story, but then I found out Mark Wade was retelling the story from a Thor issue. Interesting. I just didn't know that at the time. I didn't, I didn't know any of this. So there you go. Anyway, Elliot's a fan of the podcast, Well, Oh. Thank you, Elliot. You have earned your right to school us whenever you want. Uh, two more quick things I want to talk about. All right. Uh, Jerry Canavan, he tweeted at us and he also emailed us. Okay. TheLaughingSquid.com has a video of the Beatles as the Fantastic Four. Yeah, I love it. That's all. Uh, it's really fun to watch. Uh, their pairing makes sense to me. Ringo is the thing. John Lennon is the human torch. George is the invisible girl. And Paul is uh, Mr. Fantastic. It, it, it's pretty pretty good mapping. I think Thing is Ringo is just because the names sound similar. I, I don't know. Is it Ringo's also the most lovable one. Hmm. All and, right. And uh, I don't know. It's pretty funny. They have like lots of weird puns. Like Paul as Mr. Fantastic is like, let's rock Ringo. And Ringo's like, very funny. 
Uh, also, uh, Tony Labra emailed us. Mm-hmm. Good. He was reading the... Uh, re- uh, what was that, Will? I just said good. This is somebody you knew. No, I just... I like affirming things that don't need it. Great. Uh, he was reading issue 100, and he has a reprint, or maybe the original copy, that has the letters pages. And he made the comment that there's a two or three letters in there that are complaining about the current run of Fantastic Four comics. They're not as good. They're complaining about the uh, fewer panels... They're complaining that the art isn't as good, which I disagree with. Yeah. They're complaining that the stories are a little stupider. Well, it's interesting. I, I agree with them in generally, although I do think the art is still fantastic. But it is, it's a different experience with only four panels and, and not six or more. But I'm surprised that Marvel ran the letters. Well, yeah. Uh, it is interesting that they would post negative stuff. And also, if you read issue 100, and the, the letter mentions this, and to a lesser extent, the earlier issues, there's more panels per page. Oh, interesting. So they took the note. And I don't know if because you were talking about the page size, if they went back to old paper or if they just yeah. like told Kirby he had to like work with more panels regardless, maybe also leading to Kirby wanting to leave. Yeah, I don't Who know. Knows? I don't know. Interesting. Uh, but it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Thank Tony. Thank you, Tony. That's all the mail I have today, Will. All I've right. got other mail, but I, I just need to go through it. It's so much. It's so much to, to deal with. Yeah, and we're um, never prepared. But thank you, everyone, for emailing. Please keep emailing, even if I don't get to your emails. Uh, I'll try to respond to everything at least through email, if not through the podcast eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do appreciate it. We've gotten a bunch of great emails. Again, that's screwitspidey at gmail.com. And we also have an Instagram account, which is screwitcomics, and a Twitter, and which is screwitcomics. That's right. Uh, we post uh, images from the podcast. I'm way behind. I think I'm around issue 68 right now. That's, you know, you can see images from the 60s and 70s. There, It's a really good Instagram account, and I recommend it with my full enthusiasm. I do plan to get all the way through issue 102. Just, I'm just, I, I don't want to post like 30 at once, so that just slows me down. Um, We'll get there. And then um, we're closing up on the season, Kevin. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Definitely at least two more episodes just to cover the issues. Um, and then we'll see where we're at. Um, at some point, there'll be a short break. And then I think we'll come back for season three, I think, is the plan. Right, Will? That's right. Okay. And and I guess we'll announce. We haven't 100% decided what that is, although we, I think we kind of know. But we haven't officially made that. We don't you know. You mentioned that, uh, that we think it'll be the Hulk. Yeah, the first uh, uh, six issues. And yeah, at least the first six issues. I'd like to include a few of the Tales to Astonish issues, but we might, may or may not. Okay. We might also, I think, pair that with something else because six episodes is such a short season. But We'll figure it out. We don't know yet. We'll figure it out. Um, all right, guys. Um, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, lady wife. Bye, husband mine. Screw it. Screw it. Hiya, I'm Hallie Labonte from Mega the Podcast. I'm a weekend producer at Twin Hills, a fictional mega church in Broad Ripple, Indiana. And I'm Gray Haas. I'm the youth pastor of our church's teen ministry called Climax. On every episode of Mega the Podcast, we improvise with a new guest comedian playing a different character from our community. Tune in and hear episodes with guests like Cecily Strong. How would you me off? Or whatever? Sorry, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. You know what? what? It's covered in the blood. Rory Scovel. Uh, yeah, I said, hey, we could build houses or we could... Uh, we could build our faith in Christ out on a golf course. Eliza Coop. The way I plow the snow yeah. is uh, I'm not doing it by any other guidance except from from God. And Scott adds it. Physics is the proof of God. Wow. Oh, because it's perfect. Oh. Uh, well. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. We couldn't think of physics. 
Right. Only he could think of physics. Isn't that right? We're on Campfire Media. Listen to Mega wherever you find podcasts.